welcome to the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast. My name is Don Conlon and I'm the Programme Coordinator for AMAT, the Audit Management and Tracking Tool. AMAT is developed in partnership with our users and we're here today in order to champion that experience and perspective, as well as those of the wider world of clinical audit and quality improvement. We want to take an unfiltered look at what works, what doesn't, and how we can all work together for patient and staff safety and well-being. I'm delighted today to be joined by two guests. The first is Tracy Brailsford, who was the lead for improvement, innovation and effectiveness at Derbyshire Community NHS Trust. She's now the quality and performance lead for the health, well-being and inclusion division. Tracy began her career as a nurse in acute medicine, mental health and then community nursing before specialising in specialist palliative care. Her team has grown from four to 11 and is now responsible for QI as well as clinical audit and effectiveness. And I'm also delighted to welcome Stuart Metcalf, Clinical Audit and Effectiveness Manager at University Hospital Bristol and Western. Stuart's a familiar face in the world of clinical audit. He's chaired panels and he pops up regularly to extol the benefits of data-driven improvement. So today we're discussing organisational change and engagement in relation to clinical audit. I wonder if you could both give us a picture of the culture of audit when you first began work. Tracy, how about you start us off? Oh, gosh, the culture of audit was um, largely administrative, I think, would be the first thing that I would say. Um, it was a bit of a... No, so, so so I'm just going to caveat that with not not all audit by everybody, but yeah. a lot of the industry around audit was quite administrative. So there there are there have always been some people that will have been doing some absolutely fantastic audit work that leads to real quality improvement for patients, hundred percent. So I'm just going to caveat what I'm about to say. But I think that um, audit can be um, and definitely was. Uh, administrative quite tick box so it's a there's this national audit or there's this um, local audit and we just must do it so people were collecting the data and, and the industry around collecting the data and then the consequent improvements um sometimes happened and weren't very well captured or weren't very well evidenced I think would would have been one one side of the coin and then the other side would be um, where people would be going through the industry of collecting the data analyzing the data but then possibly not doing very much with that at all and I think that um, that was definitely the culture that I came into when I joined the NHS. Right okay what about you Stuart? Um, hi guys, uh, uh, Tracy. When did when did you start in audit? Can I just ask? Uh, in the NHS, uh, seven years ago. Fair enough. Yeah. So you've seen you've seen the sort of the the, the latter stages of audit. Um, so I've I've been involved in audit since oh two thousand ish. So and and to be honest. I've probably got a, a, a more of a more of a good picture of audit than others because we, as a trust, put the put the resource into having a really really good team of audit facilitators to actually support the process from 
you know, from 2000 forward, partly because of, you know, publication of, um, of the Bristol Heart Scandal and the governance uh, arrangements around that. Um, so we've always, and I, I guess because you've got that core team, that transfers into people. We suffer the same things, don't get me wrong. We can't always evidence that all audit leads to improvement. And there is an element of tick box exercise, certainly with the national audits and the, and the reports they produce. Um, but I'm really, our staff are really engaged in it. And I, I think that is really down, down to because we've had a team supporting it so well over the years. We are very lucky. And I am very lucky. I would I would reflect that, Stuart. In in the I, I think that that's where when the change happened within our organisation was when there was some investment in the team, mm. and then the team worked really hard um, to 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 capture the engaged staff's enthusiasm, and then to sort of work out how to dissipate that through the organisation. So I think we we reflect your journey, but just probably in a slightly more recent period of time. Yeah, it sounds, sounds exactly like that. It's, you know, it's the whole stakeholder engagement, all those sort of things, isn't it? Finding your champions, getting them on board, getting them to disseminate information, all those things that sort of link into change management and, um, and that side of audit. Could you tell us, uh, that's interesting that, that you're saying that, Stuart. Could you perhaps outline the kind of key points then of, of what's needed to, to, to instigate this kind of change in culture? Well, I mean, from an audit point of view, it's about acting on the findings, whatever, you know, whatever change you're going to make needs to be robustly uh, analysed, whether that's through a, through a simple sample audit, whether that's through something more ongoing and monitoring type things. But until you, until you turn, uh, the fundamental bit of getting the audit bit right is getting the right data to, to work out what the problem is. Um, sometimes that exists in systems, sometimes it's a manual process. Um, but that is the fundamental bit, giving people confidence that this is the right data and we need to act on it. And then once you've agreed that, then it's about finding the right quality improvement tool that sits within the audit cycle to do it, whether it be you know um, drive diagrams, et cetera, to, for specific process, process mapping, um, introducing guidance, you know, whatever it might be, finding the right tool for that latter improvement stage of the audit cycle, really, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to jump in at all, Tracy? Yeah, I think my answer is probably just a bit broader, I guess, Dom, because I think, um, I mean, Stuart's absolutely right. I'm not disagreeing with anything Stuart said at all. I think what we found sort of going back a bit was, um it's it's that stakeholder engagement and how you get staff interested um so i mean it was really simple things for us as well like dropping the word audit sometimes and using a different word so things like our clinical records audit i do find that really interesting so years ago i was sat uh, i was sat in a meeting with um oh god uh this was nag i think they were the acronym was national audit governance group and we fed into uh, into the NHS uh, uh, a chap called Nick Black, uh, Professor Nick Black, uh, London School of Tropical Medicine. Very nice guy. But we had that exact discussion. So it was about reinvigorating clinical audit, and it was sort of around the time HGRIP came in. Um, and there were yeah, there, there were discussions about you know let's just drop the word audit if it's if it's that much of a barrier. 
then another one was going, yeah, yeah, let's do this. I'm like, no, no, don't drop it. Just, you know, I mean, I've tried to sex all it up for years and I've never managed it, but it's, you know, it, it, it works. It's fundamentally appreciate what it is, but appreciate that it sits in the realm of other stuff and all used together. It sort of um, sort of works quite nicely, if you get it right. Sorry, I interrupted. You're okay. Anything to come back on that with Tracy? Yeah, I mean, we we, we did find that that, that um, using different language for staff to make it more accessible for staff, particularly, mm. you know, really busy frontline staff are the people who it's very important to have engaged. We're a community trust, so we don't have masses of medical staff. We've got lots of AHPs and nurses and the like. And... Um, so, so engaging them in the process was really important. And we did find that sometimes using different language was really helpful. We still use the absolute principles of clinical audit. And, you know, often clinical audit is the language that's used. But actually just getting people to understand that fundamentally the driver of what we were doing was not about uh, feeding a data beast it was around driving improvements for patients and for themselves and and that's what really engaged um staff and what what we always had a bit of a challenge with was was more around how do we capture though the evidence of the improvements and the journey over time um, and I think, you know, that was one of the things. So for us, for example, where I think AMAT has been really powerful to us because it's enabled us to sort of weed out some of that work that's going on at a much more local level. So rather than the big beast national stuff and the mandatory stuff and the must do stuff, this is the local really service led by passionate clinician stuff that's happening the, the using a system like AMA has sort of allowed us to have a bit of visibility of and then we can celebrate the staff that have done that work and the improvements that it's happened and and then that that does um you know it it, it motivates all the staff to to think about going on similar journeys so whilst I will never you know dispute uh, an expert like Stuart around the science no, 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 no. audit. I think that for me, as a nurse as well, so I am a nurse by background, so I have a clinician's view on it. And I think what's really important is is just help using whatever it takes to help people really understand how this tool is a genuine tool that, when it's used well, can lead to really, really meaningful improvements i think what we found really interesting is when you weed out some of those audits that are happening that are about feeding a beast rather than you know genuinely driving improvement so that mm. i think that helps to engage staff as well oh well wow, that's that's an amazing kind of journey and, and perspective on it um the the i suppose Another barrier might be the technology uh, of introducing new technology to to people. Like you're saying about language, we've got all we've all got these kind of barriers in, in us uh, of why we resist these these kind of changes. I mean, were, were there any others? Was technology an issue, or or was that actually the one surprising thing that you you didn't expect? Yeah, I mean, for, for um, technology. I suppose what was a barrier 
um, was that we, as I'm sure this will sound familiar to Stuart as well, we'd have a lot of activity that would be going on locally on, you know, bits of paper, Excel spreadsheets, um, and often as well, if you're talking about clinicians, they're experts in in whatever their science is that they're they're clinically qualified in. That does not, uh, you know, an Excel expert make necessarily. So often the the barriers for staff being engaged and involved was around, um, yeah, you know, what what is available to me that's going to make this easy for me. And people would often de- default to to pieces of paper. Um, when I first joined our organisation, there were still audits that were happening on pieces of paper and then they get filed away on a dusty shelf somewhere. So, um, yeah, I would say that definitely technology, um, if you're talking, I think there's a twofold barrier of technology as well. So one is that it can be a barrier for staff doing audit. And then the other side of that coin is, uh, so our experience was that it was a barrier to us as a team and how we have a view of what's happening in the organisation, how we have a view of, um, you know, where we might have a a real um, problem area that's sort of becoming apparent. So if you're, we're, we're like I said, a community trust, we're we're covering a, a, a large county you might have a problem that's transpired in one area of the county that's also transpired in another. But while that's on an Excel spreadsheet on somebody's laptop, you know, how, how the two join together and become visible as, a, as an organisational issue is, is a real challenge, um, which, which, again, I, you know, um, I'm sure we'll come on to talk a little bit more about AMAP, but that certainly was one of our our drivers for when we started looking for a software solution of how can we reduce duplication, reduce clinician burden and have a more organisational view where we've got um, themes and trends around what audits are identifying. Uh, does that answer your question, Dom? I feel like yeah, I've just yeah. gone no, off. It, yeah. No, you've not. It's brilliant, that, Tracer. <laughs> brilliant. Stuart, do you want to join in in that bit? I, no, I, I just, noticed I, you nodding. Yeah, yeah, I, I echo what Tracer and and for you guys, it must be even more difficult being a community trust. I mean, in a certain aspect, I'm we're lucky because we're an acute trust. And actually, just thinking about your comment about how much is the clinician led stuff and improvement, how much is the feeding of the beast type things. And I think for us, because we're acute and because we've got that the sort of history of wanting to do audit and people want to do it and we encourage it, it's we get more of that clinician want to do stuff um which as we know if people want to do stuff then actually change management is partly easier because they it's it's in their in their court but certainly in terms of technology you know so we've had a we had a microsoft access database that we used for well when i came in in 2000 and 2001 um which i tinkered with for years and stuff and it was great and it did its job but to move to another level, you need to you need to embrace that technology. You know, it sat on a it sat on a server that only the team could access. We were registering projects ourselves. We had a very nice uh, proposal form and things, but it's still duplication of then my team entering it into the system. So to have that, and you know, talking about and have to have that cloud based approach where you can enter anything anywhere um, and it's visible to everyone can only be a good thing 
also in terms of following up action. So although we were really good at the getting it right first time, you know, so we've got a team of facilitators, staff, the whole point is getting it right first time. That's where the expertise is. But given the amount of audit and the increase in audit over the years, it's very difficult to then also follow up the actions and make sure they're being done. So the fact that you can automate that process is fantastic. So then that that hopefully frees up my team to actually help with the change rather than being people that are just putting stuff into a computer using their skills. You know, that's 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 the benefit. Um, so yeah, um, all for it. And now I'm having to do my own organizational change as we implement it. Um, and yeah, that's been a challenge in itself. Well, we'll come on to that. That that'd be interesting to pick up in a minute. That's true. The this this you both mentioned this this transparency issue and and the feeding the database d- data beast kind of angle. And I think it seems to me that you've got the challenge then of of um or the opportunity with this to level the playing field to bring everybody kind of like instead of mandating things. Uh, as an audit team going, you need to do this. It's to kind of be seen to be working together more. I mean, would you, would you agree with that? You need to do both. Your, right. your, all back prog- your audit program, improvement program will always be made of, essentially made up of the stuff you have to do and yeah. the stuff that identified locally that people want to do. Um, but it just, it, yeah, it, it just brings everything together. Whatever system you use, you want everything in one place. You know, if you've got things in one place, you can triangulate data. You know, you can see what other people are doing. Trace, I'm sure you agree, you know. If you've got someone out in the community that's just registered an audit, you can then tie it into someone else who's doing an audit in another community trust or however however you function. So that, for me, is a, an obvious bonus. I think, um, I mean, one of the one of the upsides of, of being in a community trust is our, our mandatory must do um, audits are much far far less than than in the. <laughs> We've got trust. quite a lot. <laughs> um, so, so we uh, and one of the things that we've done. Um, you know, f- with executive support through, you know, we've got support throughout the organisation. When we implemented AMAT, it is had a very strong message of if there's going to be a must-do audit goes onto this system, there's got to be a really, really good reason why for number one. And then number two is that it gets monitored over time to make sure that it continues to add value. So even national audits, if if the the cost of staff time and the resource that's required to do a national audit um, is you know too significant a burden compared to the benefit to patients, bearing in mind the the delay in time for results to be available sometimes with nationals we will organisationally make decisions not to take part in them. So that was one of our guiding principles, really, as we started to implement AMAT. So I, like the warden area part of that system, I think would be much less populated for us probably than some of our acute colleagues, where I know they have a lot of yeah warden area audits, but a mandatory must-do regular audits where we have very little um 
mandatory um, that's on there, which is one of the reasons why I think that um, I suppose it's one of my indicators of the success of the system um, already, um, despite the fact that we've um, implemented it in the middle of a pandemic, is we've got so many projects that are already on there that are service, what we call service level. So there, there are, you know, clinicians that are excited and or interested and in, in taking something that they're leading for themselves. And, and I think, you know, I'd much rather see lots and lots of activity there than, than mandatory uh, warden yeah. area uh, work that um, I often question the value of. Right. That's interesting that... On the, yeah, Trent, sorry, go on, Stuart. Yeah. One, one point then. So we have a real, we have a real problem, real problem, but I, not all of the audits, as you say, national audits I'm talking about, add the value that we'd necessarily like. But we, we struggle to say that we are unable to do them because it's part of our contract to do them. So how do you, how do you, this may be, a, this may be an offline conversation. Um, no, we, we, it's very simple. We've got a governance process. So we've got a document that we fill in. We look at, you know, all of the, the rationale for the audit, the benefits, the, the literal cost, clinical cost of taking part, etc. And then that goes through our governance process and a decision gets made by the leadership around do we want to do this audit or not? I have to say the vast majority of time, the answer is yes, because it sure. does add value um, sure. and, and it does lead to improvement and we can evidence the improvement. So most of the time we say yes, but there have been one or two that the organisation has said, no, we're not doing. And because we've got that audit trail of decision-making, um, we, we can evidence the reason. And Well, to, to date, we haven't been challenged. Okay, that's interesting. Because we say so we we've got a similar thing, but we we would then receive the challenge from the CCG. Um, different way of working, a different trust as well, different requirements. So I get that, but then yeah. interesting. Thank you. Yeah, that is interesting. And on the challenge on the challenge um, side of it that you started to mention before, Stuart, I'm interested in both of your perspectives on how the challenge then would of, of implementing this change would differ between acute and community? I guess the principles are the same. For, I can speak for me, I suppose, I, I guess it would be to a certain extent easier for us to implement it than it would for a community trust because of the nature of the different bits whereas we're a bit more self-contained um and what kind of challenges did you face then the same. what kind of challenges would you face and well it's again when you've got a maybe if you've got a more spread out organization it's more difficult to communicate and get people depending on the size of the organization of course i mean we've got thirteen thousand staff um i don't know tracy i don't know what what size what sort of We've got 4,200-ish staff, 200-mile square county, but 4,200 staff, so significantly less staff. But a is very right. spread out. Right. Spread out, which can so, be yeah. more, whereas we, we, you know, we, can do, we can do 
road shows easily enough in uh, you know in the hospital when people can turn up and see about yeah. it. So we can get out and about a bit more. So I guess that's probably the ma- the main challenge. I guess maybe maybe comms in terms of how you um, how you get messages out. I guess. Which is something you were saying earlier, Tracy, about how comms were kind of key to you you implementing Amat and and doing the change. Um. Yeah, ha, what was fundamental? Um, I have to try and wrap my brain. I mean, we did roll it out in, in the, and I mean mid-pandemic, because um, we needed a hand hygiene audit. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that most audit activity um, was suspended at the beginning of the pandemic. We, we'd got AMAT in the October covid happened uh, march sort of time all clinical audit activity stopped my whole team was redeployed and we came back in um the, sort of like the summertime and then we were asked by the chief nurse uh, we need a hand hygiene audit across all of our clinical services so across the whole county and we used um we used amat to 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 um do that hand hygiene audit and i think so yeah, you're right, Stuart. Communicating across a, a, a you know a diverse, widespread workforce is a bit of a challenge. Um, but Microsoft Teams turned out to be quite the uh, <laughs> uh, key to that, really. So basically, yeah, we used our organisational comms to sort of say, you know, this is coming online, this is why, um, this this is when you need to be doing it by. And then we booked um, training sessions, basically, where people could just come and using Microsoft Teams, we could show them AMAT, we could register them as users on AMAT, we could show them how to do the audit. And at the same time, what we also developed was what we call our help desk, which is basically a phone number and an email address. So if people are trying to use AMAT or trying to do an audit or, or whatever, and they, they have a problem, they can use that help desk. And it means that they can speak to someone almost straight away in, in office hours. Um, and that really helped in the successful rollout within, you know, um, it was about three weeks start to finish from wow. us being asked, can you, can you do this using AMAT and, and it actually going live um, as, as a um, quarterly hand hygiene audit across all of our clinical services. Um, so yeah, the comms piece, although we are spread across the county the key bit was us replicating what Stuart can replicate within a hospital, but where people can drop in, but in a virtual space, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I think that was what was important is people just need you there face to face in whatever format that, that takes, you know, instruction booklets and all the rest of it are all well and good if people have got time to sit and read, but the vast majority of the time clinicians haven't, they just need you to go, go through it with them so i think yeah we probably replicated what you do in an acute trust but mm. just using technology yeah wow. sounds like it and i mean we 
pretty much had to do the same because most of my team were working working off site and sort of still are um, getting them gradually back. But yeah, I mean, virtual conferencing, etc., was obviously obviously the way to do it. We had a slightly different approach in that. Um, so I so we bought Amat in uh, I think we got it in Augustish just after the pandemic. Um, but because we were um, we sort of stood down the activity. We did a skeleton skeleton team. Other people were deployed, um, but we managed to spend a lot of that time transferring the old data from our old database into Amat. Um, so we sort of went back. I did a, a, a data dump of about back to two thousand and nineteen, I think. Um, so we actually spent a lot of time getting the team up to speed. So absolutely, Tracy, when the, when people come to you, you know how to solve a problem or whatever it is. So that was a lot of time. We did a lot of a lot of work in the background and then we sort of did a very soft, softest launch really. Um, just demonstrating to a few people, getting a few pilot areas on board. Sorry, I'm just getting wasp. Uh, a few pilot areas, clinical champions, you know, just getting it getting it out there. You know, I, I, I deal with systems and stuff. I've implemented a few in the time. There's something about just that organic way of people understanding a system. Without we haven't done a, still haven't done a sort of um, a massive spread to say you know everyone's using this now something like that. It's more more sort of softly, softly, um, which seems to work for us. Um, but yeah, it's um, we're still sort of implementing, to be honest. Uh, I I I um I, I agree with you as well because what I found um is that as people start to use it they like it it, yeah. it is really quite um user friendly and what we found really helpful is just teaching people to use the bit they they need right at that moment in time yeah. so rather than doing massive training sessions and flying through the whole system and just blowing people's minds we just keep saying to people, when you're ready to do either a warden area audit or you want to register a project or whatever, whichever bit of it is they need, then then get in touch and we will literally teach them each, you know, by piecemeal. But because it is pretty user friendly and we just keep saying, I, I, I hope Fenner's not going to not going to just look at me now we just keep saying you can't break it just do whatever we'll worry about it afterwards you can't break it <laughs> oh there's take always a way time. there's always a way i know just fenna put your fingers in your ears um mm. we we just keep reassuring people just just play with it and try it and and um i think that that's why i think if we'd have taken the approach of you must do this and you must do that and you've got to have done this by then it would have, uh, you know, put people off and to yeah. frightened people. Whereas, just letting people play with it a bit um, and start to use it, I, the engagement's really good. We've had mm. so much positive feedback. Um, I mean, I, my team would correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've had any negative feedback. I mean, obviously, we're going to have people that are voting with the feet that might not be actually using the system yet. And and yeah. because of the pandemic, of course, some people just haven't had time. So I know, I absolutely know that we've got audit activity that's happening that isn't registered on AMAT at the moment. But that's quite understandable considering the operational pressure. People like it, I think. Good. 
And that, like you said, that engagement side of things. Sorry, Stuart, you were saying? I'd say I absolutely agree with Tracy. I don't think I've had any any particularly uh, bad feedback. It's all been really positive. The guys the guys like it from their point of view, from a facilitator point of view, as much as anything else. Um, yeah, no, it's all been um, all been very positive. So I wonder if we could kind of uh, wrap up with some advice for other organisations, what, what you would say to, to the, the lessons you've learned, I suppose, in, in implementing uh, the organisational change, what, what advice would you give? I mean, I suppose to capture what we've said, there's a bit about going slowly, so not, not putting um, hard deadlines in for people that's going to um, put, put people off or, you know, are we going to have this many audits registered by such and such a date or this many users or that sort of thing I think probably go slowly and um, if you can now I realize we had the luxury of being able to set up that help desk and having enough uh, people power in our team to be able to be pretty responsive but I do think that made a really big difference because if you're a really busy clinician and you've got half an hour to do something and then you can't make it work and then you've got to wait three days for someone to get back to you, life's moved on by then and you probably haven't got time for another three weeks. Whereas if you can get somebody pretty much straight away, I think that helps keep the engagement. So I do think that that would, if I was good... Actually, if I was going to give anybody any advice, I would really encourage anybody that is implementing AMAP to try and have a responsive help desk in inverted commas, whatever that looks like, so that you can keep people engaged and not not frighten them off. Because um, we've had very, very, very positive feedback from our staff around that. We've done it two ways. So we do a... um, what we call a learn at lunch, which is literally a half uh, an hour's drop-in session, again, on Microsoft Teams, yeah. but where staff can just drop in and have a look at AMAT and ask any particular questions that they've got. And we do that every couple of months. But then anybody can book a session with somebody in the team if they want training or they can just ring up if they need immediate help. And when we're launching something new so for example we do our emergency equipment audit on the system now so in the run-up to launching that we did lots of comms to let staff know that it was coming and to allow them to book training so they could be ready for the go live date i think that would probably be my key piece of advice would be try and be available to hold people's hands because it keeps them engaged that's fantastic. Stuart, anything? Uh, absolutely agree with that. Um, also, I, th- I guess from my point of view, having a having a relatively big team that deal so with individual divisions, we've sort of got that covered. But I think from my point of view, again, maybe it's a personal thing. I think having the team really understand the system and it sort of goes back, th- doing that groundwork with the team before you actually then however you go live, whether you do a softly, softly or a, or a launch, you need to be the expert. You know, so I, really, I would absolutely really dig agree into with it. that. Yeah. yeah, really dig into it. Um, get your clinical champions. Um, we're trying to do some feedback at the moment. Actually, we're going to do the feedback, funnily enough, through AMAT. Um, so that's a nice way of – so that next stage for our implementation is okay, – 
we've got anecdotal feedback and it's come from clinicians to individual facilitators but you know we can put in we can put in some um, ideas for change and and some feedback sort of forms that can sit on websites and things so that's the sort of next avenue i was also trying to think of the other the other day and this isn't necessarily a have to but how how am i how am i measure how am i measuring the improvement of introducing this system so i think what i'm what i'm thinking of maybe something for people to think about when you're doing it is what measure can you look at so for me i think it's simply at, at this process you know how many paper forms are we still as a team putting on for clinicians versus how many direct uh how many direct entries registrations on the system and i've seen it it's, it's it goes down you know or rather goes up so that's that's sort of a measure if anyone needs a measure and you do it the same way that might be a measure but you know we've said it before there needs to be some sort of measure around quality improvement and that to me would seem would seem a moment and that's it. I mean, exactly that. You, you want to be able to measure, you want to be able to feel that everything's on a route to improvement, don't you? That it's yeah. not just about the audit, about the data beast. It is leading somewhere. And once everybody can kind of see that across the organisation, then you're all in, all kind of engaged and, and then inspired to, to, to continue that, that path. Well, thank you both of you for your time. I think this has been really interesting. I've learned a lot, uh, certainly, as you know, I need to. Um, and, and it's been fascinating chatting to you. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Thank you.